chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And even though last week we went over an introduction to the book of Romans, in one sense, as we cover the verses today, it will still be, in one sense, an introduction. But I was reading a story uh, in studying for this uh, text, and it was a, a story, I guess, that took place on May 24th, 1738. There was a discouraged missionary who went very unwillingly to a religious meeting in London. But while he was there, a miracle took place. About a quarter before nine, he wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, in Christ alone for salvation. And at that moment, an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. The man who wrote that was the missionary that we know, John Wesley. The message he heard that evening was the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And he wrote in his journal, I went to America to convert the Indians, but who will convert me? You see, prior to that, John Wesley was a religious man, but he was not a saved man. And what happened is in his study of the book of Romans, God changed him. And as I share with you guys, he changed the world. There was the revival that took place there in England, and it swept the nation. And Paul's epistle to the Romans, you guys, as we study it, is still transforming lives. Just the way it transformed Martin Luther, John Wesley, Augustine. And as we study, we're going to see the one scripture that stands head and shoulders above so many is over. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. As we study, we're going to see God giving us such a wonderful opportunity to be able to experience not only a revival across the nation, but I believe a revival within our own hearts. And as we go through our text today, we're going to see, first of all, in verses 1 through 7, the greeting. And then we'll see the goal. We'll also see the gratitude. And we'll close today in verses 16 through 17 with the gospel. We'll look, first of all, at the greeting. There in verse 1, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, believe it or not, verses 1 through 7 is actually just the greeting. Here we see in verses 1 through 6, it's from Paul. And then in verse 7, we see it's to the Romans. Now, you look at that and you're like, wow, the, the greeting from Paul is kind of long. But the reason for that is since the church at Rome was not founded by Paul, nor had he ever been there, 
what he did is he went a little deeper into his greeting and he shares a few things about himself, about his gospel, about his savior and about his apostleship. And the reason why this is something that we read, this is what takes place is because, you know, I want to encourage you guys in this. Whenever you read a book or a letter, you listen to a Bible study, a message or whatever the case may be, you got to establish who is it that's talking? What is this man like? What does this man believe? You know, unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, in the church that we live in today, they'll go and they'll pick up any book and they'll swallow anything that's written because it was, you know, bought at a Christian bookstore. Well, just because a book is for sale at a Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's right on. And just because you see this guy and maybe he talks real nice and he's on TBN, it doesn't mean that he's right on. We as Christians need to be Bereans and we need to find out a little bit about this person. What are they like? What do they believe? And in one sense, that's kind of what Paul does here. He says, you know, I've never been to Rome. I know some of the people there, but most of you here have maybe heard of me, but you don't know me. Let me share with you a little bit about me. So that when they read the letter, they kind of know where he comes from. It's almost like a statement of faith. Look what he says again in verse 1 about Paul, that Paul was a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Why should I listen to him? Well, we look at Paul's life and, and, and his credentials are pretty cool. He was a servant. He was a doulos. He was a slave. You know, and, and I just want to encourage you guys, you know, that's one of the things that you look for. When you want to sit under somebody's teaching, you want to read their books, you want to listen to their studies. What not only do they believe, but how's their heart? Paul right here, we see, was a bondservant. He was a slave. And, you know, as we look at this in the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves. They would instantly be able to identify with Paul. One thing was crystal clear. This man, this man was a slave of Jesus Christ. That's good. I want to listen to this man. Secondly, we see that he was an apostle. Now, we went over this in depth last week, but this is one who was authoritatively sent with a commission. Paul was an apostle with a capital A. He was a representative of the Redeemer. He was an ambassador of the Almighty. He was an emissary of Jesus Christ. And you know, that's another thing that you've got to take into consideration. When you're reading their books, when you're listening to their studies, when you're sitting under their teachings, number one, are they a servant? Number two, are they really called by God? Does God have his hand on them? Is that what God wants them to do? And Paul was sharing with them that that's who I am. We know the whole story that God arrested him there on the road to Damascus and God called him and God gave him that authority to do what he's doing. And that's why we should listen to him. We see thirdly about Paul that he's separated. It says right there in verse 1, to the gospel of God. And that's what Paul was. You know, according to Galatians chapter 1, verse 5, it's kind of interesting. Paul was separated from his mother's womb. And he was called through God's grace. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, reveals the fact that Paul was separated before the foundation of the world. And that's cool. And looking at this man, I want to listen to this man. I want to read his letter. I want to sit under his teaching because I know he's a servant, that he's a slave of Jesus Christ, that he is an apostle. He's been given the authority from God and he has been separated even before time began. 
to share with me this message that I'm reading. You know, and that's the way it is. And I share with you guys, this is a side note last week that we're all called. All of us are called to something. And so I encourage you to answer that call. You know, Jeremiah, we know, was called uh, even before he was formed in his mother's womb. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, that God ordained him as a prophet to the nations. And so Paul shares with them a little bit about himself. Secondly, he shares with them a little bit about his gospel. Because look what it says there again at the end of verse 1. Separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the holy scriptures. Now, as we're going to get into the book of Romans, we're going to learn over and over and over again about the gospel. One of the things that we need to establish in looking at our text right off the bat is that it is the gospel of God. And what that means is that it didn't originate with man. Some people will actually make the accusation. You guys need to be very careful when you go to some schools and things like that. They'll tell you that the gospel was invented by Paul. Let me tell you, it was not. It was the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God because it originates with God and it was not invented by man. I mean, who would tell you that salvation is a free gift? No one would tell you. No man would tell you that. The gospel is divine in origin. It's kind of interesting. When you read the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, it's called the gospel of Christ. In chapter 1, verse 9, it's called the gospel of his son. And in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Paul calls it my gospel because he makes it personal. All I can tell you is this, and as we go through this book, you guys, we are going to learn what the gospel is all about what it is, how to articulate it. And not just kind of like in words, but I think we're going to have a good handle on, on how to get to heaven. You know, yesterday it was kind of cool. We got together, a group of us, and, you know, we went out and we hit the streets of Almani, just wanting to share that message of salvation with people. And there were a couple of people that were here that had never done that before. They'd never gone out. We call it cold turkey evangelism, you know. And so they were asking, well, what, what do we do? You know, you know and, and we were just telling them, you know, it's so simple. It's so simple. God has given us a message. And we go and we share that message. Very simple. That you're a sinner, you need a savior. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And if you accept that, if you believe that by faith, you will be saved. It's so amazing. And that's what the gospel is. And as we go into the book of Romans, we're going to see God is going to equip us in order to be able to share that gospel. Now, in verse 2, again, it says something that he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. We realize that one thing about the gospel is that it's not new. You know, it's not just the New Testament. It's something that was promised before throughout God's history. We read it in the Old Testament, those prophecies of Christ. The whole gospel is there in the Old as well. You know, we're going to look at some of the scriptures as we study the book of Romans. Even today, we're going to study Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where the Bible said in the Old Testament that the just shall live. How? By faith. You see, it's not new. Right here it says, it was way back there. The Jews should know this. The Jews who have the Old Testament have the gospel. 
You know, you read through the Old Testament, you see all the different pictures and symbolisms. And even in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verse 6, the Bible says, And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. You know, one of the things that just blows me away, you guys, is how simple God has made it. You know, you guys here that are Christians, you are free, you are forgiven. And when you die, you're going to go to heaven. And the simplicity of it, how some of you got saved. You know, I know some people who got saved, they were just at their house. And, you know, one day they just kind of knelt down and prayed and they were saved. I know some people who took a few steps up here, maybe from the fourth row, and they came up and they did that and they were saved. I know some people who raised their hand. They think about it. They just raised their hand and they were saved. And it just blows you away how by faith we are saved. There's a real interesting picture in the Old Testament in the book of Um, Exodus, no numbers, chapter 21. When the children of Israel, if you read the story there, they had been uh, bitten by snakes and they were dying. And so they were uh, complaining and they were crying out. And so finally God told Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a, 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 a pole. I want you to wrap a bronze snake around it. And this is what I want you to do. Just tell the children of Israel, That if they will look at this, just look at this, they'll be saved. And that right there is a picture of salvation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 45 verse 22, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. That's how God saved C.H. Spurgeon. He was going to church one day, he wasn't even saved. A guest speaker went up. I guess he didn't even give a great message, but he gave that, that scripture right there. Look to me. That day, C.H. Spurgeon just looked to God. And by faith, he was saved. You see, the gospel is in the Old Testament. It's not new. Right here we see it was something he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. We read here about Paul. We read here about his gospel. We read here about his Savior. Because look what it says in verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God, with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. You know, whenever we read a letter, a book, whenever we hear a message from someone who claims to be sent by God, you always want to find out who they are and what they believe. But especially, what do they believe about Jesus Christ? And so Paul, in wanting to encourage them, hey, listen to me, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about my background. I'm going to give you just a little bit of information about the gospel that I preach. And this is the Jesus of my doctrine and as he shares this right here he shares with them what he believes about the lord you know and again you guys i just want to encourage you to be so careful because there are many out there who preach a different jesus did you know that you gotta know that man you know, there are those cults that come knocking on your door. There are those, you know, Mormons and JWs. They, they preach a different Jesus. And that's probably a little bit more evident. But there are those in the church 
that preach a different Jesus. And that's why we need to be so careful. You know, there are wolves inside this church, and we need to make sure that we have our spiritual antennas up. You know, one individual that I just want to share with you guys is a false prophet, is a man by the name of T.D. Jakes. And there's a lot of Christians, unfortunately, who don't know that. Not only does he teach baptismal regeneration, in other words, you've got to be baptized to be saved, but he denies the doctrine of the Trinity. He preaches a different Jesus. He believes in what's called modalism, that God is not three persons, but that God puts on three hats. He just has three different manifestations. And yet, he is a noted speaker at the promise keepers. And yet, we see him time and time again with Christian organizations, and his resources are sold in Christian bookstores. You know, Norman Geiser said this, I know T.D. Jakes is very popular. And I know people don't like his ministry being called a cult, but it is. It would have been condemned by any Orthodox church down throughout the centuries. And so, you know what? I just want to encourage you guys to be careful. Paul, in sharing who he is, he shares a little bit about himself, about his gospel. And this is what I believe about Jesus Christ. And he shares right here in verses 3 through 4 that he is God's son, that he is our Lord. He is born of the seed of David according to the flesh, revealing his humanity. And he is declared to be the son of God, revealing his deity. See, we believe that Jesus is both human and divine because that's what the Bible says. And as we look at Christ, we see that the divinity is proven by his resurrection. Again, notice what it says there in verse 4. It says, the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Yesterday we were out there and one of the first people that we had the privilege to be able to talk to was a Muslim man. And you know, it's weird, you guys, how we're going to see that more and more, huh? In this world that we live in, in the United States of America, uh, Islam in the, in the world is the fastest growing religion. And so it was kind of weird. Wow, the first guy, he is a full-on Muslim. And one of the things that we had the opportunity to share with him is there's a big difference between our founder and yours. No offense, but yours is still dead. Muhammad is still dead. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And in doing so, he validated all his claims to, to be God, not just some random rabbi or typical teacher, right? He is God, and that's what we see in looking at Christ. Not only did Jesus raise the dead, like Jairus' daughter or the widow of Nain's son and Lazarus, but he himself rose from the dead, proving who he was. And so in looking at this, again, this is just the greeting, and it's kind of interesting. Paul gives a little bit more, little bit more information about himself, about you know, his gospel, about who he is and what he believes And then we see the last thing right here in verses 5 through 6 about his apostleship. It says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And so Paul just wants to share with them, listen, um, I know I've never been there. I know I didn't found the church. 
but I do care about you guys, and I really want you to listen to this letter. And so let me give you a little bit of background about who I am. And it's all within the greeting and what I believe. What I believe about Jesus. And even the whole idea of the apostle that God has allowed me to be. He says right there, through him, notice we have received grace and apostleship. You see, Jesus is the one who gave Paul the grace to serve. Just like the Lord is the one who gives us the grace To serve, if we ever think that it's because we're so great or qualified, then we disqualify ourselves. Jesus is the one who made Paul an apostle. And you see in looking at this, that his mission as an apostle was that all nations would come to Christ, would obey the faith, would be saved by faith, and would walk by faith, among whom are the Romans. And I think it's so cool that we know our mission. You know, you may not be an apostle with a capital A. None of us are. But we are all apostles, we'll just say with a small a, that we're all sent by God. Remember what the Lord said? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And the thing that we see here in this verse right here is that this is something that we want to, to, to just go out and just to preach the gospel. We want people to obey the faith. Notice it says right there, among all nations. That's got to be our heart. You know, even though we know that, oh man, it just doesn't seem like everybody's going to listen, we need to try our best to preach the gospel with a hope, with a desire that everyone would get saved. I remember one time I prayed with a brother and, you know, we were just kind of sharing a little bit and we got down and we started praying. And um, it was so cool. He was a new believer. You know, when I was praying my prayer, Lord, help us to, you know, to reach, you know, Almani and Lord, help us to, you know, my family and this individual and that individual. And, you know, I guess that's kind of cool. You can be specific in your prayers, right? But then this new believer, you know what they prayed? They said, Lord, and I pray for the whole wide world. (laughs) And I thought, why didn't I pray that? But in all reality, that should be our heart. Everyone, you guys, the whole wide world. You know, I know that's the heart. uh, I know some pastors that I get the chance to fellowship with, Pastor Rawl. He wants the whole world to be saved. And I think that's part of the reason why God uses these guys in such a tremendous way. Paul had that heart. And I think that's part of the reason why God used him in such a tremendous way. One of the things that's interesting here in verse 5, it says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. Notice what it says right there, though. For his name. You know, I thought it was interesting in reading the motive for the mission. You know, for most of us here, our motive for going out and sharing is because we don't want them to go to hell. That's a good motive. Another motive that we have is because we want to obey the Great Commission. That's a great motive. But the main motive should be for his name. Believe it or not, that's the greatest motive. John Stott said this, The highest of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, but rather zeal, burning, passionate zeal for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul was. 
That's who Paul was. That's the greeting from Paul. And it says there in verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. This letter was written to the Romans. And one of the things that Paul told them right off the bat is, I want you to know that you are loved by God. And that's so cool, man, when you share the gospel and you begin to articulate to people, you know, to tell them, hey, God loves you, man. That's a great place to start. You know, and when you think of the love of God, I know that we, man, we can't even begin to fathom the thought. I remember reading one person who said that the love of God is like the Amazon River flowing down to water a daisy. It just blows you away how much God loves us. And I know this can be hard to believe that God would love me, that God actually loves everyone, especially when you look at things from the lenses of human setting and circumstances. But we need to know, you guys, today that God loves us, that God loves them. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, it says in verse 3, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. It's kind of interesting. As Paul establishes who he is, it's from Paul. He says, to you. And right off the bat, he says, and God loves you. To the beloved who are in Rome. It's got to be something that sinks in. You know, there was a certain medieval monk way, way back when. According to the story, he announced to the congregation that That evening, he was going to preach on the love of God. And so as the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered. But in the darkness, there was an altar. And what the monk did, according to history, was he lighted a candle and he carried it to the crucifix. And first of all, he illumined the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. Next, he went to the two wounded hands that were nailed to the cross. And then he went to the marks of the spear that were on the side of Christ. Very simple. All he did was hold up a candle to each one of those stigmatas. And then what he did in the hush that fell is he blew out the candle and he left the building. Because there was nothing else to say. You know, and we don't have Christ on a cross anymore. As Protestants, we're like, ooh, we don't do that, you know. I'm, we, he's risen from the dead. He's not on the cross anymore. Yes, I know that. But the Bible does say that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in looking at the cross, no matter what you're going through, you got to know he loves you. He died for you. To the Romans, he says, loved of God. To the Romans, he says, called of God. Look again there in verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, the Greek word hagios, which is where we get our English word saints, it simply means holy, set apart for him. And that's what we are, you guys. We are called to be holy. We are called to be saints. You know, it's kind of a tragedy that the catholic church has relegated this title to only an elite class of christians 
You know, they say in the Catholic circles now that there's definitely 10,000 saints. We know that for sure that are named, but you know, maybe there's a few more. Why is that? Because they think a saint is someone totally unbiblical. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the canonization process for the church is just amazing. You know, in the early days, what they used to do was just kind of like a public consensus. Like if the church as a whole thought someone was special and they began to pray to that individual, then, you know, um, they would make them a saint. But as time progressed, you know, that didn't work out because a lot of the things that they were claiming were not true and they investigated things. And so it eventually got very, very technical. Eventually, Pope Paul II came up with a whole formula on how to canonize a saint. And what they would do is, first of all, um, after the Holy One died, they would investigate his doctrine. They would investigate his life. And if they found it to be a life worthy of, you know, going forward in this whole process, they would make that claim. Then afterwards, what they would do in seeing whether or not this individual had done a miracle in his life, they would then give the okay for certain individuals in a certain place to venerate that saint or that holy one. So let's just say someone from Elmani, you know, they die and wow, they did some great things. And so Pope Paul II says, okay, then you guys at Almani, you can start praying to that saint. And then what ends up happening is if two miracles come out of that prayer, you know, we pray to this saint and they do these miracles, then man, you know, eventually what ends up happening is you can make him a universal saint to where everyone can now pray for that pray to that saint, or they say pray through that saint. And it's just a crazy, crazy thing. No, you guys, you want to know how we're saints? By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what the Bible says. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, he says right there, called to be saints. There's the greeting, and then there's the gratitude. Because look what he says in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. We see here that Paul in giving them that heart in sharing with them a little bit about who he is in the greeting, a typical greeting, grace to you, peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to share one thing right off the bat. I am so grateful for you as a church. He was so excited that there was a right-on happening Christian church in the city of Rome. You know, I'm sure most of you know that Rome was the capital of the world back then. You know, one guy, uh, Stephen Neal, he said that Rome was the eternal city which had given them peace, the fountain of the law, the center of civilization, the mecca of poets and orators and artists, while at the same time being a home of every kind of idolatrous worship. It was a great capital, but it was utterly sinful. The philosopher Seneca called the city of Rome a cesspool of iniquity, and the writer Juvenal called it a filthy sewer into which the dregs of the empire fled. It was bad. It was like, you know, Las Vegas, El Monte, you name it, man. And he was just so grateful to God that there was a church there. 
But this gratitude then led to a goal. Because look what it says in verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. You know, the greeting Paul shares who he is so that they would really listen from Paul to the Romans, the gratitude. I'm so grateful that there's a church in Rome. I pray for you guys all the time. I never stop praying for you. But one of the goals that he had was he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted so bad to go to Rome. Now, if you read Romans chapter 15, we know that, you know, I think he was just too busy in the ministry at that point to go any sooner. He was collecting a contribution from Achaia and Macedonia. He was heading over to Jerusalem. He had other things to do, but he wanted to go to Rome. Up to that point, he was hindered. But here's the thing. Why did he want to go to Rome, you guys? It says right there, huh? Because I want to impart something to you so that you can be strong. And I think that is so beautiful. I think that that should be the goal of every single Christian. You know, I think it was John F. Kennedy who said, don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I think that in one sense, that should be the approach of the church. That should be the approach of the individuals. I'm going to church today. Let me see what I'm going to get out of it. No. You go to church today and you know what? Pray, Lord, what can I give? What can I give? What can I bring? Ephesians chapter 4, it says the same thing. What every joint supplies... What every single individual brings and gives. What you give. So that they. Notice right there. Would be established. The word established. Is where we get our word steroid. Believe it or not. And it talks about getting strong. And I don't like to think about spiritual steroids. Or anything like that. But I want to tell you something man. You. Make a difference. You really do, you guys. Here's the tough part. You can tear someone down or you can build someone up. And I think that when you have that heart, like Paul the Apostle, he just said, you know what? I want to go because I want to help. And it's not that you think you're something. It's not that we think we're great. No, it's not that. It's just that we know that every single member of the body Even me, even I have something to contribute. And as you do and as you're exercising those gifts, then it's so cool, man, that people will be established. And that means that they won't be tossed around to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, that they will be stable, that they will be secure. And I want to encourage you guys today to know this. It doesn't matter who you are. That as you offer yourself to the Lord and to his church, that you make a difference in the life of his people. 
Paul had this greeting. He had this gratitude. He had this goal. I want to go to help you. But also notice what he says there in verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, notice what he says, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And so when he goes to Rome, not only would he be used by God to make a difference in that church, but they would be used to bless him as well. And he knows that's the way it works. And that's the way it is, you guys, when you serve in the ministry. You know, I don't know what's going on in your life. I know a lot of you here are busy and you've got different ministries outside these walls, outside the local congregation. But let me share something with you. If God is calling you to get involved, man, get involved. Because you're going to help others get stronger and you will get stronger as well. You know how that works? You know, I go sometimes, I'm going to go to a hospital visit, I'm going to visit this person, you know, they're whatever, they're terminal. And I go and man, they bless me a hundred times more than I bless them. Why is it? Because the privilege of the ministry is growth. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, man, I know that if I go, I know that God can use my life because he is so gracious to strengthen you. And I also know no matter who the person is, here it's Paul the apostle, you will be used to strengthen me. Verse 13, he says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He wanted them to get stronger and he wanted others to get saved. That's what the word fruit is talking about right here. I want to go and I want to preach the gospel so that other people will get saved. You know, yesterday, and, and I, I don't know, I think I've shared with you guys before, I, I love going out. I love going, you know, evangelizing on the streets and talking to people about the Lord. It's so cool. And I know a lot of you here do as well. But yesterday, as I was studying for this lesson, I'm like, how can I not go? I'll be in big trouble from God if I don't go today, man. Because he's just saying, Paul is just saying, man, I am ready to preach the gospel and we need to have that heart, you guys. Paul said, man, I wanted to get down there. I was hindered. But now I think the Lord is going to give me the opportunity to do that. And one of the things that we see right here in verse 14 is very important. You guys need to know this, that you are in debt. Paul said, I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and an unwise. It doesn't matter. He was a debtor to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, and I think that we can kind of identify with the whole concept of, you know, debt. You know, we uh, think of debt. I know for some of us here today, unfortunately, we are in financial debt. But I wonder if we truly realize that we as Christians are in spiritual debt as well. It's not that we've borrowed something and we need to give it back. No, it's that we've been entrusted with something and we must give it out. And if you're not sharing the Lord, 
If you're not speaking the name of Christ to those that God brings into your path, then you are not paying your debt. And that's a heavy thing. You know, it's universally regarded as dishonorable to leave a debt unpaid. And we have a debt to give out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it wasn't a matter of, well, what do I want to do today? It wasn't a matter of, well, I'm not sure if I'm up to it, if I feel like it. Uh, It's not a matter of whether it's convenient for me today. No, it was a matter of, I am under obligation to go out and to preach the gospel. And that's the way Paul saw his life. You see, we are debtors to the world, even though we are not apostles, John Stott said. If the gospel has come to us, which it has, we have no liberty to keep it to ourselves. We are under obligation to make it known to others. Someone comes up to you and they say, here, here's $100. I want you to give it to Fred. What are you doing hanging on with the $100 still? Why do you have it? Saving it for a rainy day. I don't, doesn't make any sense. There's Fred. Give him his money. There's that person. Give them the gospel. That is exactly the way it is from a Christian perspective. Paul wanted to go to Rome, not as a sightseer, but as a soul winner. And so in looking at this today, we see the greeting, we see the gratitude, we see the goal, and then we're going to close with this. We see the gospel. Because look what it says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul said, first of all, I am a debtor. He said, secondly, I am eager. And then he said, thirdly, I am not ashamed. And we need to do the same thing. And you look at that and, you know, right off the bat, you might wonder, well, why would Paul even bring this up? You know, I'm not ashamed. Well, I think the honest to goodness truth is because the reason Christians very often don't really share the gospel, they may make other excuses and they may say, well, I'll rationalize it this way. I didn't feel led, whatever the case may be. But the real reason is because many times they are ashamed. And that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to go up to someone and just to tell them about Jesus. You know, no matter what. And I know we live in a world where, you know, we might be tempted to be ashamed. If we were a bit more honest, I think that would be the reason. Ashamed of how they're going to see me. Ashamed of how they're going to see the message. You go to Rome and it's a very intellectual place. Today, you know, skepticism, atheism, intellectualism. What are they going to say when you talk about a Jewish carpenter who lived and died 2,000 years ago and you tell them that if they turn from their wicked moral ways and accept Christ as their Savior today, that they're going to go to heaven? It almost seems foolish. And for that reason, many times we don't share the Lord the way that we should. You know, Jesus warned his disciples against being ashamed of him He warned them. And this is what he said in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words 
In this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, Paul had the same concern for a man named Timothy. He was a pastor. But Timothy was tempted to be ashamed as well. And therefore, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoners. You know, you guys, we live in a world of skepticism, atheism, intellectualism. How can we be bold and go and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I think one of the ways that we can do it is by looking, first of all, not at the whole concept of, wow, I don't know if it's going to you know, ring true in their life. We need to have this heart. Number one, I'm not ashamed of it. And number two, I know the power of it. That's what Paul says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation. I'm not ashamed of it because I know the power of it. And therefore I go and I teach a simple message and God can save lives. You know, the simple message, you guys, means the salvation of souls. You know, sometimes people think, well, I can't go share because I don't know enough. and I'm not, you know, smart enough and I'm not, you know, smooth enough or whatever the case may be, you know. And God says, no, just go and open your lips, open your heart and you preach Jesus. You're not ashamed of it. Why? Because you know the power of it. This gospel that you know is the only key that unlocks heaven's door for them. You know, we see in the book of Acts kind of an interesting contrast. When Paul was in Athens, he got very, very philosophical, very smart. God didn't do a work. God did not plant a church in Athens. So what did he do? He went to Corinth and he was afraid. God, what's going on? And then the Lord shared with him, listen, when you go to Corinth, this is what I want you to do. I want you to keep it simple. I want you to determine to not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what did God do? For 18 months, God established a work in Corinth. You see, we are not ashamed of it. Why? Because we know the power of it. Thirdly, we know the extent of it. Look what it says right there again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for the homies, for the you know, gringos. I mean, you name it. Everybody, man. All nations. You know, yesterday we were here, and you know, being in Almani, there's kind of a diversity here, isn't there? You know, we were talking to gringos, we were talking to, you know, those that were in Latin origin, those who were Asian. And sometimes you can look at a certain race and you think, nah, I'll stick with the, you know, the brownies or whatever it might be, you know? And, and then God says, no, you go, you share them too, everyone who believes, everyone. Greeks and barbarians, wise and unwise, Jews and, you know, non-Jews. No one should be avoided. What did the Lord say? Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's what we should do. Be careful, you guys. Sometimes, you know, you get a little prompting in your heart. You're like, I think I, Lord wants me to share with that person. But... Nah, look at the way they're dressed. Or nah, I don't know about them. They don't seem like, you know, we might be drawn to, and I might be drawn to people like me. Well, you know, if he's, you know, a pretty simple guy, or maybe if he's a, a young person or a teenager. But, but, you know, that's not the way it works. Every creature. We see we're not ashamed of it because we know the power of it. We see the extent of it. 
And then we see right here the revelation of it because it says in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Because as you share the gospel, this is really how it works, you guys. You're telling people how to get right with God. That's righteousness. The righteousness of God is the character of God, is the saving work of God. The righteousness of God is how they can have the righteousness of God on their life. How can we be right in His sight? How can a holy God forgive us of our sins? Well, here's where we close with the last thing. And that is we get to the heart of it. And look what it says right there at the end of verse 17. The just shall live by faith. And that's where it's at, you guys. It's not by good works. It's not by being good. It's not through religion. It's not by tradition. It's not even by behaving. We need to know that the gospel is by believing. We can live, the Bible says, but not through baptism or circumcision or any form of legalism. No, the good news is, the gospel is, the just shall live by faith. And that's why when I look out into the congregation and I see you guys and, you know, I look into the mirror, man, the only question is whether or not we truly believe. We believe in our heart that Christ has died for our sins, that we trust him as our Lord and our Savior. You know, Paul here quotes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. It's actually a verse that's quoted three times in the New Testament, also in Galatians and also in Hebrews. And the context there in the book of Habakkuk was Habakkuk was kind of complaining. He was like, Lord, I don't understand. Why are you judging your people with the wicked Babylonians? And the Lord shared with him, well, let me share with you, Habakkuk, a couple of things. Um, Number one, the Babylonians, you know, they are not going to turn to me. But my people, they will. And that's what he shares with them, that life is more than just physical life, that it's a spiritual life, and that his people, with their humble, steadfast trust in God, would live by faith. And that message has never changed. We've got to make sure, you guys, that we do not pervert the gospel. Do not put a drop of works in there, or you pervert the gospel. That's what Paul wrote to the Galatians. He was just tripping out how they were turning away from the gospel that was so simple because they were telling them that they had to do certain things. No, the purity of the gospel, the truth that sets us free today is this, that salvation is a free gift. That as we, and I shared with you guys earlier, some of you just raised your hands and you were saved I went forward in the altar call and I was saved. My friend fell to his knees and he prayed a simple prayer. It wasn't the memorized prayer that all the Christians lead him in. He just got saved. That as you express your faith in God, then God saves us. And that's what the gospel is. We're going to study the book of Romans and we're going to learn about this. And God is going to really clearly teach us the whole truth about what it means to be a Christian. In closing, I want to share with you guys a story that I read. It was kind of a funny story about this individual who was uh, one day hired to wash some windows. 
And, you know, they, um, I guess they're pretty good at it. They had a good reputation. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, we have this one big window in front of our house. And I'm thinking, man, I do not. It just doesn't sound like something I want to do to wash windows. And you've probably heard the whole, I don't do windows thing, you know, stuff like that, right? Not the easiest thing. I remember over there in the cafe washing the windows. And they ended up worse than when I started. And, you know, you got these lines everywhere. But this one guy, I guess he's good at washing windows. So he's washing windows. And uh, finally he comes to one spot that he just, he just cannot remove. And he goes and he gets a scrubber and he gets a little bit more of the, the, the cleansing. And he just does everything again, a little bit elbow grease. And f- f- he gets frustrated until, you know, finally someone comes up to him and they say, the reason you can't clean that is because it's on the inside. <laughs> it's on the inside. And, you know, we have a lot of people out there and a lot of things and a lot of thoughts. They're trying to cleanse you. But they can't cleanse you on the inside. The only thing that can cleanse you on the inside is the blood of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am so grateful that we have given our life to him and that we know the burden is lifted. God, I thank you. You did the work and I am clean. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. For allowing us, Lord, just the opportunity to study this word. And there is so much here, Lord. We are grateful that we were able to see the greeting, Lord, the gratitude, the goal, Lord, the gospel. And you teach us so many things, Lord. I pray that you would continue. Lord, pray you would continue, Lord, to equip your church and just bless your church in a mighty way. Father, that you would just speak to us, Lord how we are to go out and to speak to others and that there would be a revival in our own hearts and through our own lives, Father. And Father, I just pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, if there's anyone here today who's not a Christian, God, that today you would speak to their hearts and Lord, that today they would know right where they're at, right in their their little chair, right there, that they can receive Christ as their Lord and Savior by faith, and that everything will change in their life. And I pray that they would, Lord. I pray that today every single heart here would yield their lives to you. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, you guys. And uh, we'll close with this.